Blog Talk Radio. Well, there she went, and here we are. This is Dr. Dub Carlin with her very intellectualized, studious co-host, Mr. Dr. Richard Flint. Good morning, Mr. Flint. How are you? I am alive and well, and today I'm healthy and fit and happy. Oh, I love that. What a wonderful way to be on the last Tuesday of December in the year of 2020 as we're getting ready to walk into New Year's Eve Day on Thursday and just, you know, groove on into 2021. Are you ready for 2021? You know, I always think it's interesting the way that people do New Year's because had a little bit of a different feeling about it. I mean, I remember as a as a kid, and then as a person in my twenties, and then not so much in my thirties. You know, people saying, "Well, what are your New Year's resolutions?" And I always thought it's you know, okay, you can use it as a tool to retool, but it's an artificial step as we turn the calendar year. And this year in particular, I'm concerned about people thinking. Oh, 2020 was so dark and so this and so that. I can't wait for 2021. Well, hang on, folks. What do you think is going to magically happen overnight? We're in transition. You can use 2020 as a marker and set some ideas in place for 2021. I've certainly, you know, got ambitions for things with with business and my personal life. But um, I think I make New Year's Eve and, and the transition into brand new shiny new year a little differently i think of it more as you're taking a walk and you're walking down yet another new nice path yeah it's it's amazing how over the years we've taught people that uh the changing of a month and a number creates a new life <laughs> uh, you put that, it better than i did yes yeah that everything that was is magically going to disappear I'm going to open my eyes on January 1, and I'm going to look around, and everything is going to look different. Yes. 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 The challenge is, how long will it look different? Yeah. And that's what bothers me, is because by the time it's the third week of January, people are getting bummed out. Well, and this is why, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put the plug in here. This is why I'm doing the two virtual seminars in January. Oh. Uh, to the first one is on January 16th, and it's about turning your goals into gold. And it's all about destroying the myth that because you write something on a piece of paper, the little the little gold fairy is going to come along and go, and magically, uh, you're just going to find yourself in a different world. The, the challenge I have with that, Deb, is that. Um, most people by the first or second week in February are already discouraged by their goals. Yes. And by the end of March, they've given up on them. Right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give people a process that's designed to consistently breathe life into their goals. Oh. Words on a sheet of paper are debt. Yes. you got to breathe life into them, and you do that with action. And then on the 30th, we're going to talk about having the greatest year of your life. And... I'm going to give people a mental mindset process that if they will stick to it, will anytime they come up against a wall that is there to distract or detour them, 
they will have the inner strength to not let that wall control them. Um, and people people need this right now, especially right now. Absolutely. So how long are these um, to some They're 70 minutes. 70? 70 minutes. And they're both on a Saturday. And I picked a Saturday because it doesn't interrupt with people's life. And it's at 10 a.m. They're at 10 a.m. in the morning. So hopefully at that time, uh, people will have awakened. They'll have their cup of coffee, hot chocolate, or whatever it is they drink in the morning. Right, right. And sit there, and we will go through this together. And what does it cost? Uh, if you do one of them, it's $49 either one. But if you do both of them, it's $69 for both of them. That's amazing. It's a bargain. It is a bargain. Are you it's kidding me? Walmart. Two for $69? I mean, you would spend more than that going into Starbucks or Panera, getting a biscuit and a coffee or a tea and a soup. Yeah. I like Panera. Yeah. I like the, I like their Asian chicken salad. <laughs> I do too, actually. <laughs> so, did you have a good Christmas? You know what? It was really lovely. It was beautiful. We had like a um, sort of a mystification snow, just so that we would know that it's really December. It was it was uh, quiet. I I got to play my Alexa music, telling Alexa play play relaxing Christmas music. So I got to have music all over my home. I made some of my favorite dishes. I made the Carlin lineage recipes. So that includes Swedish glug, G-O-L-G-L-O-G-G glug, which is a hot mulled wine with spices. I made cardamom breads, sweet, oh, braided cardamom coffee breads. I went, I went to Andersonville in Chicago, and I got Swedish sausage and some Swedish ground coffee. Good you. <laughs> it was great. I went into this really crowded. I saw your video of you cooking. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yes. But I got to tell you, none, none of it looked tempting to me. What? Get out of here. <laughs> Everybody's tempted by my cooking. It, it was, I'm, I'm, I am a traditional ham on Christmas person. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so we it, had a ham. So you know what? Um, so I did a turkey on Thanksgiving, and I thought about what did I really want on on Christmas, and I and I got so excited and busy with doing my cooking and everything that I had bought salmon, and I had also bought a um, a big roasting hen. And I didn't do either one of them. I'm going to do the salmon today, and um, I'll do the roasting hen tomorrow. And I went out, you know, I got herring and and Swedish rye bread, which is called limpa. And and I went and I got Swedish sausage. It was really funny. I w- they took this restaurant and they turned it into because the restaurants, you know, so many of them are suffering and closed. Took all the tables out. Had chairs around the perimeter so you could sit. You called and you ordered what meal you wanted, and I said, "I just want the Swedish sausage." You know, well, it's frozen. Yeah, that's perfect. So I came in there. I got the Swedish sausage. The coffee was bagged, and it just smelled so rich and so scrumptious. I had to get some. He had 
white bag with a, or no, uh, paper, little paper bag, brown paper bag with a little rib, red ribbon around it. And, and so I'm standing there. And of course, since I wasn't ordering a meal, my stuff was just easy, no prep, just take it out of the freezer, have it ready for me, that I could walk in and all these like 25 people standing there waiting for their meals to finish cooking. I got to go in front of them. I knew that they were kind of mad, but it was like, Hey, you know, I didn't order the complicated stuff that, that they did. So I decided I better be really friendly. So I didn't make them get out of the Christmas spirit. So I said, Oh yeah, good news. <laughs> I was leaving. So it was fun. Are you, are you looking forward to 2020 being over? No, I'm not actually, because I I would prefer if we were leaving 2020 with some clarity. You know, like I'd like to know who the president is. I'd like to know if we're going to be in some sort of big trouble in 2021. I'd like to, I would like to walk into 2021 and think it's a sparkle. I'm I'm going to walk into 2021 and sparkle. You know, we're continuing with our partners and excellence media platform. There's new people coming on to the to the platform. I've got events planned. I've got a, a couple of additional business things that I'm doing. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about you know the the acquisition of a of a property for the institute. All that I'm excited about. But and I and I'm and, and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking about the ways in which I want to do some things for myself a little bit differently. But no, I wish that we could close out 2020 on a note of more certainty. Yeah. When, when I look at uh, the end of 2020 and moving into 2021, uh, I, don't, I don't see us taking a lot of resolution out of 2020 into 2021 on a, uh, on a big scheme, on a, you know, on a political scheme. I don't see it, uh, and I'm 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 looking at what I think uh, the first quarter is going to be a uh, an interesting an interesting time as far as um, creating the face of what this nation is going to look like. I mean, I keep hearing all the time, all eyes are on Georgia, and I think that's true uh, because if if these two socialists win the Senate seats uh, from in the U.S. Senate uh, from Georgia, uh, I, I believe we're we're into or moving toward some very very challenging uh, events that will happen. Because if they lose that, then maybe for the first time in a while. Uh, the Democrats will have control of everything. Mm. And that frightens me. That frightens me, Deb. Scares me to death. Or near death. Seriously. Terrifies me. Absolutely terrifies me. Because, I mean, the more you... And, and I think it's interesting uh, that as Georgia has become the focal point, you're not hearing as much rhetoric from the left because they, they don't want to scare people. But you know that their agenda is to push us, not just towards socialism. I used to think that was it, but it's more toward a communistic thought pattern. 
people have been telling me that, you know, I am completely mistaken, that that's not true. And I've been saying that since the beginning of the year. It's going to happen. It'll happen unless certain things get stopped. Yeah. And one of those is to stop uh, the Democrats from having control of all three places, the presidency, the House of Representatives, and Congress. Yeah. Uh, and there was an there was an interesting um, commentary that I was listening to the other day um, that was dealing with the fact that if they take all three, that it might be years before we see uh, the Republican Party uh, come back. Uh, and. I hope that's not true, but I think that they're, you know, and I'm sorry. I just don't understand people who have a brain who think we would be better off under a socialistic agenda than under a capitalistic society. Richard, Uh, you and I know each other well at this point in our relationship. We work together well. We are friends together well. And we are compadres, and we are completely and 100% aligned on that point. You know, when I look around and I see our fellow Americans who have walked into this this mythology, um, I just I feel I feel heart sick because in in speaking with people, and other than being on this platform, I don't I don't walk around and and pro- proclaim and profess my politic, because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, frighten or alienate people. I don't want to be a target. Although being on a, on a platform on the internet certainly sets you in motion, but you know what? I articulate things. I think both you and I do. We articulate things in ways to try to help people understand and critically think and, and think strategically I do not understand when so many people who I love dearly and have trusted and have been close to both family and friends and business associates, and they think that we have to go socialist because then everybody will be taken care of. Well, wait a second. Why don't you look at the countries who have adopted that model and compare them to the United States of America? Who is the first country on the scene all around the world when there's either a war or bullying or a natural disaster? It's the United States of America. And in the United States of America, I do appreciate that there has been a president in place who at least says America needs to come first. Do I think we need to do a lot more for our own citizens? I do. And it's not in the way of becoming more of a welfare dependent state, I would like to see Americans have every advantage to really work. And so our employment numbers have really been great the last few years. I would like to see opportunities for Americans to um, have less taxes as a burden so that they could keep up with their philanthropic donations, which Americans are known for. And, and I would like to see people enjoying their educational experience and, and, and buying homes and living in their own homes. There's nothing better for a person than to feel that home ownership satisfaction. 
It is great for your self-esteem and for your safety and security. Unless you're living in a dangerous area. And then we should have no ghettos in America. I would I would like there to be a movement so that there's no no gangs, no criminality, nobody can be bullied, everything is cleaned up, every neighborhood is safe, the police are in force and you know, when I was growing up in Chicago in the city, we had officer friendly who came and walked through our neighborhood, drove through our neighborhood, knew our parents, nice middle-class neighborhood, came to our schools, we had officer friendly, and you trusted the police, and and you would walk to school, you would walk to church, and, you know, if we can do that, then we have, then we've got a really beautiful model for, uh, that's a utopian society, and teach people how to garden and grow their own foods, even if it's container gardening or raised beds of some sort. Um, and help us become more healthy. Like why this year wasn't the media interviewing people who are holistic practitioners who could teach people how to boost your immune system, what to do at home if you get the coronavirus, what to do to prevent yourself from getting sick by, by boosting your immune system. These are all the things that I see, but people say, no, no, the capitalists are selfish and greedy and arrogant, and they're all white. Well, excuse me. No, we're not. No, they're not. And when I see people of great wealth living in homes that are that are saying, you know, capitalism is wrong, I'm thinking, how did you buy your home? You're living in a $4 million home. I don't understand your thinking. Just explain it to me. Tell me what it is. Yeah. And I've been putting a lot of thought into this because it is something that um, has really brought a high level of concern to me. Because if you are a person who has worked for what you have, okay? Yeah. And then Gunmer comes along and says, we're glad you worked for it. Now we want you to give it back. Yeah, how does that work? How yeah. does that go? In my process, in my mind of thinking, I think the the attitude that is not spoken but demonstrated through behavior, especially between the age group of 22, maybe early to mid-30s, that the attitude has become, you owe me. And I think there are three groups that I look at that I think have really fostered this to a dangerous level. Okay. That one of those are, are the are parents who have been so busy being busy uh, with their lives and trying to always be able to have the more that they want. Mm. That rather than teaching their children the the idea of responsibility, they've taught them. Uh, that they can be given anything and everything they want. I, I, I've witnessed that, yes. Yeah, and so it's it's almost like you own me. So when government steps in, which is another one of uh, the things that I think has created this, and they keep giving handouts. Yeah. Uh, they, they teach people, you know, you're right, we owe you. And this is one of the things that bothers me about the whole uh, Black Lives Matters movement. Mm. Is 
it's not a movement, it's a demand. It's, it's a demand that's based on a history that they, they haven't even gotten right. Because it's, it's not about what white man has done to the African American. It's what the African American has, or the African person has done to their self. Yeah. Because when they came over here and were taken into slavery, they were brought, they were sold here by Africans. Yeah, right. Their own people sold them into slavery. Yeah, there's not an awareness to that, though, Richard. And you know that. So welfare is about you owe me, and government says you're right. So we're going to take away your spirit, and we're going to replace it by just giving you whatever you want. We're going to pay you to stay the same. And true, this is a fact. This is not true with everybody on welfare, but it is true with the majority of them. When you've got second, third, and fourth generations that have lived their entire life off of welfare, there's something wrong with the system. Well, so, you know, you know, I've mentioned this so many times on here, the book written by Dorothy Law Nolte, which had been a poem from decades ago, the um, children learn what they live. You know, I think that in our culture, we've got we've got a huge percentage of our upper class and middle class that is multi-race, multicultural. Absolutely. And then we see that whites are on welfare. We see that blacks are on welfare. We see that Hispanics are on welfare. And, you know, initially, I understand that somebody had an idea that welfare would be a way to ensure people's well-being by giving them a stepping stone. But when that stepping stone traps people, like why in the world did we ever build Section 8 housing? Why in the world did we take poor people and want to put them all together? Why didn't we teach people, educate people, keep them in their own neighborhoods, in good schools in their neighborhoods, instead of busting them to a a foreign part of town and abandoning their neighborhood, which is not right? Why didn't we straighten up those schools, make them spectacular, and help people have a beautiful home in their neighborhood, make it safe? That's the part that I don't understand. And make sure that people got employed because we had them educated and, 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 you know, become participating members of society. You cannot give people um, a small amount of money or a large amount of money, but particularly in the welfare system, it's not a way to live wealthy. But when you, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you are punitive with the money that you give people and you tell them, this is what you get, you can't make more than this, otherwise you lose this. You take away their self-esteem and their self-importance and their their self-image is diminished. And then the hand that feeds them is the one they want to bite because they feel mad about it. You know, the whole thing needs to be revamped. But, you know, nobody's looking at that. And now I don't understand with, with Black Lives Matter, there's so many people who think that it's about a, a romantic a romanticized version of the civil rights movement. There was nothing romantic about the civil rights movement. It was about a movement that needed to happen, but there were a lot of people who, you know, lost their lives in the midst of all that. You know, we don't need a repeat of that again. It's not hippies walking around 
you know, college students with cut off jeans and T-shirts on and flowers in their hair saying peace, love and happiness, smoking pot and making sure that legislation is passed so that blacks and whites are equal. No, this is a this is a um, an angry mob movement that has captured both whites and blacks and they're all mad. They're all angry. Okay, well, how do we get to a place of peace in coming together as races or even within a race? Because there's blacks on blacks who are saying, cut it out. How do we do this with all the anger in place? I'll tell you how we do it. The very first step is we got to help people unwind the anger. Nothing good comes out of being angry. Nothing good comes out of being angry. When people are angry, their vascular system constricts and you are not getting enough blood flow to your brain to be able to think your very best capacity of thinking. <clears throat> I'm still waiting to hear about all the people who were rioting, what their health results have been as a result of that high adrenaline sustained over a long period of time, out doing violent acts. I, I know intuitively, I know intellectually that many of those people have got to be suffering with whatever the implication was of that sustained anger and aggression. You can't go through that and not experience that. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah, and I, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I think there's a, a broader view here also. Okay. And, and that is, uh, like, for instance, this stimulus package that the president signed, uh, and I wish he had not signed it. 5,900 uh, really pages. The $600. Uh, because there's a lot of money in there that's going to be given to foreign countries. The majority uh, of it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost seems to me that the majority of the people whom we have elected are more concerned about the world than they are our country. I mean, that money that they're going to give to Pakistan, that money they're going to give to these foreign countries, that's, that's my dollar. That's my tax money. That's right. I have no voice in how they spend it. Zero. Which is not right. Right. And why should they give these billions of dollars to, uh, to places like Pakistan and other places in the world when they could take those billions of dollars and pump them back into our economy right now. I agree 100%. I don't understand who the authors of it were. I do not understand what was going through their mind when they were writing it. But I do know that I have a copy of that legislation. I I ordered it. And and you can can go online and you can order it. It's downloadable. It's 5,900 and some odd pages. There are like 540 pages that are about COVID and the whole, and it's called the COVID relief. It's not COVID relief. No. It was mis, it was mishandled. People were mad at the president if he didn't sign it because they didn't understand what was in there, but why he caved in, why it is that his strength and his determination at this stage of the game was compromised blows my mind. I don't get it. Like when I heard that he signed it, why? I mean, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I mean, did he really do it? And did it really pass? Because, you know, the news is selfish junk, and I hear that they did, then I hear that they didn't, and then it's going to be voted, and it's not. And now Congress has to maybe work through the holiday. 
Aww. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's like, it, it's almost like giving and giving and giving, they're going to win more and more people to their side. Or yeah. hold their enemies at bay. Yeah, and it seems to be working. Well. I mean, you look at Biden, junior, uh, junior college, free for everybody. If you make under a certain amount, I think it's 150000 a year. And university, if they get their way, it's going to be free. You know, not, when are we going to realize nothing is free? And the more I give you, the more you expect me to give to you. And, you know, and this is an old cliche with me, but if we can break the human spirit and take away their desire to have a life that they build and then start depending on other people to give them that life, that'll break down. I actually that will bankrupt the human spirit. I actually saw, I get up in the morning and I go through my emails and my text messages and my social media platforms, and I'll be gosh darned on social media, on YouTube, look it up, do a search for Barack Obama talking about the one world order. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it for years. And I've had to believe it in 2020. And he is standing there. I'm watching him say at the podium, this is all about getting people, you know, that can't think for themselves. The only solution is the one world order. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God in heaven. Who follows that message? Who follows that kind of leadership? I mean, I have read... You know, there have been so many people who I respect, who are good people, who are thinking clearly, and yet they're not thinking clearly about the well-being of the United States of America. We've lost a lot of our monuments. Our bases are going to be renamed. Our schools are going to be renamed. Our towns are going to be renamed. Our money it's not going to have the same look about it anymore. If we even have money, instead of just having, you know, a debit card, I mean, the the dismantling of America, if anybody thinks that that's right, I take issue with that. Why in the world would you want to dismantle the safest country in the world where people will do anything to come here and get the American dream. We are living the American dream, ladies and gentlemen. And, and what do you think that, I hear this all the time, but what do you think the American dream is today? Well, actually, the American dream has been, I can go to whatever house of worship I want. And I can congregate and I can pray to the God that I believe in, in the religion that I choose. I can get whatever uh, legal means I, I want to make money, have a job, have a vocation, have a, passion, have a passion about how I create my living. I can earn as much money as I want 
and I can be accountable to my government by filing and paying my taxes. I can get an education. I can borrow money for my education. I can pay for my education, but I can go, I can go anywhere I want to get my education and I can get in my car or on, or on foot or on my bicycle, or I can, I can fly or boat or train to anywhere in the world, anywhere around the United States that I want. I just need a U.S. passport. And I can, I can decide what I do with my body and my health care and how I practice that. But, Deb, do you think that that American dream is, is slowly being eroded because of the number of young people that are walking out of the educational system that have been brainwashed? And it's not about what you can create for yourself. It's about you only. Well, let me tell you, I've got a little bit different perspective on that. I think that there's a percentage of that. But the thing that really bothers me is that there are people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't think there's a single decade in America that doesn't have this mindset running through it of America's horrible, we've got to change it. Um, that there's systemic racism. Well, excuse me, if you're going to talk about systemic racism, this white woman wants to tell you, I'm feeling it. <laughs> Do you think I feel free to be a white person in America? No, no, I do not. I have to be careful what I say. And I'm telling you, I'm a white woman. I was not raised by racists. I was raised to believe that it was a wrong thing. I don't live as a racist. I've never decided about who who can be my friend and who can be in my inner circle because of their color. It's about character and personality and talent and, and alignment and intellectual cap- capacity and all that good stuff. And that is that is devoid of the of the the skin demographic or the religious demographic. That's one thing. But what I do see, Richard, is I see kids in high schools in high schools all over the country. And in universities all over the country, but particularly in the high schools I'm hearing about it, where these kids are thinking, Mom, Dad, do you know that you're, you're privileged and we have to change this? And now they're thinking about changing everything. You know, well, we have to listen to our kids, you know. They do have a point. Excuse me. Where is your parental skill? The biggest thing that happened in this country that is a big mistake is that women were made to feel like they were not good enough if they stayed home to be the homemaker. By George, that's the most important role in the world is for women or men. I don't care. But somebody's got to stay home and take care of the kids and raise them because our children have been abandoned all too often for the latchkey program, the before school program, the sporting events. Wait a second. Moms and dads, bless your hearts for having the children. How much of you have you infused into your children? How many of your familial values have you infused into your children? And what have we done with all the elders? Shift them off to nursing homes and convinced them to downsize and go into skilled nursing facilities? Excuse me, this is not the right model. I don't believe in downsizing. As we get older, we should upsize. Why? Because as we get older, we want our kids to come and stay with us and bring their kids and bring their kids. And have all the memories and memorabilia around you so that your lineage and history is protected. Now we've got all these old people sitting in these nursing and skilled nursing facilities 
and and they're they're held captive like they're prisoners and they're dying of a broken heart. I think I'm a little exercised about it. I'm passionate about this. Do you think there's a difference between a house and a home? Absolutely. I've always had a home. Was raised in a home. I've always had a home, whether it was small or it was large. And by the way, I know what I'm speaking of because when my parents would end up in a nursing home because the physician sent them there on the, on the tail end of a hospital stay, I showed up, took them out of there, and took them home, to their home and to my home. Do you think that in our culture today that we have more homes or more houses? I think we got a lot of houses. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is one of the issues because a home is where people – gather who are united and you know they eat meals together this is Uh, what my institute is based on core family american values and teaching people how to do well-being if you don't have your domestic sphere in shape richard you got nothing well and you know again because of the breakup of the home and the creation of the house uh that is another thing that I think has led to this attitude of you only, because rather than parents being parents, they're a bank. And, and what's going to happen when these kids that say their parents are privileged, all of a sudden um, they come to my, they will come to mom and dad, and they want that beamer. And sorry, there's no money now. Or what happens when? the things that they enjoy because if the parents are privileged, so are the kids. So what happens when all of a sudden, you know, someone comes and says, uh, you have what I want. And that's my concern, a big part of this Black Lives Matters movement. It's, it's not a movement, it's a lie. And it's about the anger that has that is not all across the African American population. It is a it's a small group that has been given and is being given a louder and louder voice by the media. And I see just as many and sometimes more white people if Black Lives Matter move Black Lives Matter movements than I see blacks. Which absolutely blows my mind because talk about confusion. But again, you know what? I want to tell you something. Most people have no clue about what either of us have done across the course of our careers. We're just sitting here looking, you know, like we're fine. Okay, we are fine to a degree. We both have financial stress. We both have concerns about what decade of our life that we're in and what kind of freedoms we have and all that and relationship challenges. We have the same challenges of anybody else. But, but here's the thing. I have spent my life since, since I was in grade school and my sister and brother-in-law moved to Kentucky and she was a homebound teacher. And I would go and, do, I would go and spend, a, you know, like spring break with her and my brother-in-law. Uh, and, and I would do the homebound visits with her. And we were driving into the backwoods on rocky roads in an old sedan where we would get to the property line and there'd be somebody holding a loaded gun on us, a shotgun, you know, some good old boy who'd say, Oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's teacher. So let the teacher in, 
Oh, she's got her little sister with her. And we went into really primitive homes. I mean, we're talking shacks with dirt floors. I'll never forget the one that he had a hog walking around in the middle of the house. I I worked in community medicine while I was in my undergrad when I was in my graduate training, and I went all over great neighborhoods and and really frightening neighborhoods where I had a phone in the car in a bag plugged into the cigarette lighter. And, and the people would say, honey, you call us when you pull up. Don't you get out of your car. You come during daylight hours. We'll protect you from the car up to our house. I have traveled around, and I have looked, walked into homes, looked, sat, and talked to people in their homes for hours. What I see more of is I see kids who are thirsty for mom and dad to sit down with them and have that meal at the table, to sit down and talk with them. And I'd like to see more moms and dads and kids sitting at the table, not at not at not at uh, TV trays, looking at the at the television, but really sitting across from one another, like you and I are doing right now, and going eyeball to eyeball, having dialogue. Well, would you say right now that in your spirit you're more optimistic or pessimistic about the future? I'm always optimistic about it. I'm scared, but I'm optimistic about it. I'm an eternal optimist, and I have unshakable faith. How can you be optimistic and scared at the same time? Because my my faith tells me that human beings and humankind is filled with goodness and that there is a divine plan for us, and it's to be happy and productive and actualizing everything that's wonderful about the human condition. And people are filled with love more than they're filled with hate. And people have minds that are theirs to use. Now, that's what I believe. And I can see, I can see good prevailing. However, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not blind to the evil forces that are trying to overrule and overrun that. So I'm scared about that. I'm scared because I've witnessed the riots. I'm scared because I've witnessed the killings and the beatings. I'm scared because I've seen what's happened to our cities that I don't know if they'll ever get rebuilt. So until we have resolve on how we're going to have peace again and repair all the damage, I'm scared. Until I see how it is that we're going to really deal with and interact with people who are, who are violent and enraged, I'm scared, but I have faith. The word for me right now is because, again, it's something I've been playing with. Um, An optimist to me is a person who sees the pathway forward. I do. A pessimistic to me is someone who talks about the pathway but won't do what they need to do to find it. Okay? And I, I... there's a part of me that's pessimistic and, uh, because I don't trust. Uh, my, my trust in uh, the leadership of this country has really, really, really taken a beating lately. Uh, my trust in um, people meaning what they say. Yeah. But, uh, it's hard to trust people how to speak out of both sides of their mouth. I know. I know. And this is one of the things I haven't understood about all of this 
year that we've been in of election is that you have a candidate stand there and say one thing, and then the media plays three or four clips of them saying just the opposite. So what's truth? What is the truth? And it, oh, I hate saying this, but it's just appalling. Be careful what you say. Uh, but I won't apologize for saying it. Uh, it. It's just appalling of how many people have bought into something they don't understand. And something, if they really understood it, they wouldn't believe in it. I agree. I don't, I don't think that you're wrong to say that. That's exactly what we're talking about. I think that people have been, you know, here's the thing. If you look at President Trump, successful businessman, people want to ding him. Oh, he had bankruptcies. He's got this debt. He owes all this money. Okay, excuse me, successful businessman, still successful businessman, tremendous wealth. Oh, he inherited all from his dad. No, actually, he didn't. Pay attention out there. He's had to create, recreate, recraft success again. If you look at everybody's past, People have fallen down, gotten back up. People were excited. They wanted him for years to run for president. I mean, you can go back decades ago. Oprah Winfrey was saying, are you ever going to run for president? Well, so who is this man? Well, he's, he's, he's very bright. He's very energetic. He's also very crass. And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's got a, a mentality that he doesn't make any apologies for. Well, you know what? When you're a leader, you need to think about one thing. You need a followership. And if you let if you let your mouth well hang on a second. If you let your mouth run away and you role model things that people don't approve of, then you're gonna get yourself in trouble. The one thing that President Trump has done that is a big mistake is he has not paid attention to what comes out of his mouth. Do not call people names. Do not make fun of people. Do not do not uh, berate people. Be articulate. We expect more of you than that. And as a result, people will say, I don't care what good he's done. I hate him. Oh, okay. Now, where do you see what happens with what you voted for? Look, here's the interesting thing, and I think this, I agree with you. Uh, I, I wish I could have been a confidant around him and help them to understand, you know, what you're saying is going to get you in trouble. Yeah. There's, there's other ways to say it. Right. Exactly. Uh, but here's the other thing that I think really created conflict between him and especially Washington. People who don't want to hear the truth don't like people who speak the truth. And when he called Washington a swamp, and, you know, everybody laughed, but it is a swamp. You know, I, when I was flying here to Florida yesterday, and my first time, plane, time back on an airplane since March, and I was real interested to see how how travel has, has changed that much. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because both planes that I, I was on were packed. I mean, they weren't, there wasn't an empty seat on the airplane. Are you kidding? No social distancing? 
more social distancing. Oh, what hog manure. Give me a break. Are you kidding me? How do they excuse that? What is, what is the, what is, how in the world do they do that? Well, they justify it because once you get to the airport, you've got to have your mask on. And you can only, like on the plane or in the airport, you can only take your mask off if you're eating or drinking something. Oh, because at that point in time, there's no germ exchange. Yeah. So I just kept ordering water yesterday on the plane so that I can pull my mask down and drink. Because, uh, you know, we've talked about this. I don't like those masks. I don't like breathing into it and then swallowing what I've breathed into it. Neither do uh, I. I just don't like that. But it was interesting because uh, that's my fax machine. Uh, it was interesting because I was in the Admiral's Club and I got to listening to this uh, group of men that were talking, and you could just feel how anxious they were about the future of this country. And they, one of the guys was talking, I asked the other guy, what do you think is one of the big solutions to getting us past this? And without a hesitation, they all said the same thing, term limits. Oh. Term limits. And I've been a proponent of that for years because I think if you want to clean up this country, you do two things, term limits, and you, did, you do away with the IRS and replace it with a two to three cent tax on every dollar that you spend. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I agree with we, that. Would never, we would never get term limits unless we made it a national referendum that went on you know, a presidential or midterm ballot. Uh, where we the, the American public voted for term limits. Uh, yeah. See, I don't even I don't understand either why there hasn't been some group. Maybe they're fearful of doing this, but why hasn't some some group taken a person like Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi and really ripped their life apart like they've done Donald Trump? Why hasn't anybody done that? Because I guarantee you, there are enough skeletons in their closet. And if we really got into who they paid and who has paid them for favors. I mean, it would be it would be amazing, but it's like they're not fair game. Well, do you want to sacrifice your life to open up a door? I don't. Will you open the door first, and I'll stand behind you. Yeah, right. Bullet will <laughs> go through me and right all the way through you too, because people are scared. That's why. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, I, I think that there's so many people in Washington right now, politicians, that are evil. I don't think you have to look at Washington. I think that you have to look all across the country and you see how many cities are in peril. Yeah. Well, who was it? Um, uh, the mayor of Baltimore uh, said this morning in a, in a, in a new statement. I don't know what to do to curb the crime in our city. Oh, my God. Dear God in heaven. And here's a city that defunded the police. You know, you, you get what you, what you prepare for. And, you know, if this is defunding the police gains strength, and I think with uh, the, the administration we're going to have, I think it's going to be a license for a lot of these cities to just uh, become more democratic in their thinking. Uh, and, and that's the other thing that just blows my mind. How can the citizens who live in the city 
vote for people who are making it unsafe for them to live in the city. Well, all right. So let me take us back a few steps. So what people have been walking into for decades is, is, you know, we've got to give everybody a chance. So what we need to do is take all the white men and annihilate them. And women need to have more power. And women don't just want equal power to men. They want more power. So if you're a woman, you got to only select women. And if you're a man, you owe it to women to only select women for anything. Professional services, political races, and then you have to go to all the other demographics and make sure that you give them an advantage over the white men. I've been talking about the annihilation of the white male in America for decades. I've been speaking about it on platforms. And people look at me and think, well, what is she talking about? And then let it resonate. Just Just let it bubble around in your head a little bit. And people start to understand. And then they say, well, you know, white men have been in control for a long time. Okay. How about if we tease out who's done a good and effective job and who hasn't? Because if what you tell me is that this whole demographic is evil and wrong and needs to be annihilated, then I guess I do too. Because I came from it. My father was a white man. My whole lineage was white. And and there were as many men as women involved in, in the creation of me. And so until we start to love one another and say, you know what, we have so much to learn from one another, then we're not going to get anywhere. But when, when affirmative action came into play and we said, you know what, it doesn't matter what your talent is, it matters what your demographic is, that's not a way to lift people's self-esteem what we needed to do was give people the the you know the the freedom for good education, good homes, good parenting, an embraced population of human beings, so that everybody had an opportunity to get smart and to live well. That's my pitch. Everybody deserves to be smart and live well. Okay, stop right there for a moment because we're going to be out of time a little bit. Let me just put this in front of you. Do you think that today we're being driven more by the mistakes that were made in yesterday than we are the successes that were made in yesterday? Oh, absolutely, the mistakes. And it's almost like we've come to a place where uh, we're wanting to clean up yesterday. I don't know why people are hooked on that, because if you're looking back there, you're going to hurt your neck. Well, my, my thought is, and... You know, I could be wrong. I was wrong once for an hour. Um, But my thought is that when you work to clean up mistakes, you're not learning from them. Oh, that's an interesting thought. But when you look to learn from successes, you create a pathway for improvement. And everything I hear in in so many of the, the, the left way of thinking is that yesterday was filled with wrongs that we're going to clean up now. We're going to erase. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how we clean them up, but we're we're going to we're going to push our agenda on. 
My my big concern is that you can only push people so far, and then they're going to revolt. And my concern over the next four years is maybe just the next two years, maybe just the next year, is that as people begin to see the agenda of things being taken away from them, no matter how hard they work, there's going to be a revolt. Well, here's what I'm going to say. We're down to our last couple minutes. So here's what I think we need to do for our audience. We've gotten really exercised about this. We've both gotten really animated and passionate about it. Friends, it's because we love you. Really. I love everybody. I do. I I have said all along, I was worried about the people who were rioting. I said it again today. People have been manipulated into the positions that they're in, in the mindsets that they're in. I know that I speak for Dr. Richard Flint and myself, as we both say, we understand the human condition. We love humanity. We love people. We want to see people happy, healthy, wealthy, in well-being, in abundance, in every good way, in every good way. And he and I are not about malintent for anyone, anyone. So if you object to anything that was said on here, no apologies. There's yeah. no offense to be taken. We want goodness, and we want America to prevail. All right, well, let me, let me say this, because here's what I want to do in 2021. Okay. okay? Yep. And, and these are the seven things I want for my life in 2021. Okay. I want to not look back. Okay. I want to close the door on yesterday and just realize I can create a new chapter. Number two, I want to evolve personally. Okay. I'm going to let go of this stuff that's been eaten at me. Okay. Number three. I'm going to work on improving myself. Okay. Number four, I'm going to yearn for more expansion of my connection with people in a positive way. Okay. Okay. And then I'm going to expand my uh, – I'm going to adapt, adjust, and align, and I'm going to rejoice in the life that I have. Okay. And I second all of that, and we're going to invite all of you to do it with us. And so we will be posting on Richard Flint uh, on social media and at richardflint.com and richardflintseminars.com. Come join us because it's going to be fabulous. How's that sound, Richard? (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. We love you dearly. Keep coming back to our show with no apologies. This is Dr. Deb Carlin and my good friend Richard Flint, filled with passion about life. Make it good. Peace out.